leaving oh. the band now. Glenn. Now. Glenn, Yoko wants a mic. See, maybe for the for the show, I mean, you could just say George was sick. No, I mean, if he leaves, he leaves. But what's the consensus? Do you want to go on with the show and the work? Yeah, yes. if he doesn't come back by Tuesday, we get clapped. <laughs> I'm Richard Buskin. Pinch hitting for Eric Taros. I'm Alan Cozen, wearing pinstripes.
So that was two of us, which was the last thing that we know the Beatles were working on before lunch on January the 10th of 69 at Twickenham. This up-tempo take was actually from the previous day. And now that we've got Peter Jackson's new edit of Let It Be coming up next year, and we've heard Ringo already saying that he feels that the Let It Be that we are used to was very much Michael Lindsay Hogg's film. It was his kind of edit as such, he, although I'm not so sure that it, he had that all to himself. A whole different story could be told with that film. Right. It was much more upbeat than has been reported and the sort of general opinion about that film down the years. Now, it doesn't really rise to the level of a proper documentary, does it? Because there's no real narrative thrust there. We just sort of see them rehearsing. It's kind of very fragmented. We don't see George's departure. Next thing, we're just at Apple, and then we're up on the roof. Right. Surely the intent of a documentary would be to really tell a story and give us the whole picture. And we really just get a fraction of it. Well, we get a fraction of it, but in, in a way, there is a narrative arc, assuming you already know what the narrative is, which is, you know, the first thing you see is Mal bringing in Ringo's drum head and Paul sitting in the studio by himself, noodling on the piano. And you know, Mal bringing in the drum head presumably is supposed to tell us that they're now, you know, setting up for these rehearsals at, at Twickenham. And then we see the songs more or less coming together at Twickenham, but of course we skip huge amounts of rehearsal uh, to, to see the bits that we see. And then it ends up with the rooftop concert. Of course, it doesn't tell us what we subsequently found out, which is that you know the whole plan was to rehearse some songs and have a documentary about that and then have an actual concert as the finale. This was going to be sort of like a two-part television special, I think, where first we have the Beatles working on their new stuff, and here it is all coming together. And now, ladies and gentlemen, the Beatles, and we have probably what would have been a full-hour concert or so. I mean, I understand them covering up bits, you know, that they didn't particularly want to show at that time George quitting, and... Also, the fact that they aborted the whole TV project. You know, they've renamed it Let It Be by the time of its release. And, yeah, it's a whole different story that they want to tell. I get that. But it's just still too bitty, isn't it? And I, I personally believe, yeah, they should have shown George walking, which John said that's what he would have wanted, right? That he wanted to show them with their trousers down. It doesn't really achieve either, does it? It doesn't really show them upbeat, and it doesn't show all the, you know, the major falling out or anything. It, it's a lot of nothing, really. Right. Um, you know, I, there are some nice little jams along the way, and there's um, they show us enough of uh, the music in progress. For instance, they show us a bit of that fast uh, two of us. Yeah. Um, so, that, so that we sort of see just by deduction, that obviously the songs changed a lot as they were working on them. Mm. Um, it's just that we don't really get to see it in the way that we do when we listen to all of the Nagra reels, right. which, you know, of course, are all mysteriously out there. Yeah. Um, and that those tell us the entire story of the Let It Be sessions. And, you know, everyone is saying that Peter Jackson is now going to 
whitewash the whole story of Let It Be. But I think people who have collected the bootlegs of this stuff, um, and particularly who have listened to the entire run of it, have for quite some time been saying, you know, it was not as dismal as the Let It Be film makes it seem. So maybe that was uh, Michael Lindsay Hogg's, you know, view of it, having been in the middle of it. And, you know, as the director of this thing, he's going to be feeling a lot of tension about, you know, whether this project is even going to get finished. I mean, it was never clear whether they were even going to have a concert until finally they said, let's just go on the roof. Um, And so, you know, he was under probably an awful lot of stress. So for Michael Lindsay Hogg, this was probably, um, you know, the, the stress of this production for him may also inform the way he made the film because he's seeing stresses in the Beatles, but he's you know, not necessarily putting them in perspective, which he might if he had, you know, stepped away for, uh, you know, 50 years, which Peter Jackson has the luxury of. Right. Now, you know, I mean, it's all a question of different perspectives, right? And in the case of George, who would refer to it in anthology as, you know, the Beatles' winter of discontent, I mean, I, you know, I don't think this basically occurred overnight for George. We know that this had been building maybe for years, maybe for a decade. OK, right. Of feeling, you know, diminished or invalidated by John and Paul. And so I, I just don't think, you know, when people say, oh, there was a bust up over lunch on the 10th. That may be just the, the final straw. You know, I, I, that's my guess. And we'll get. Yeah, I think pretty clearly. Yeah. Um, And so, you know, that's his perspective on it, you know, and that's his memories of it, of, you know, having to listen to Paul again tell him how to play his guitar and play his songs and John and Paul not paying as much attention to George's songs, his compositions. So, you know, that's George's gripe. John we have to bear in mind, apart from all the falling out with Paul, you know, in 1969, there's mm-hmm. also that, you know, they saw a rough cut of the film on, what was it like July the 20th, the night of the first moon landing. Mm-hmm. And that was reportedly about an mm-hmm. hour longer than the released version. And the story right. goes that much of the hour that was edited out, there was a lot of John and Yoko footage that was cut. Um, yes, actually, um, I spoke to Michael Lindsay Hogg maybe 15, 20 years ago, and he told me that that was the case. Mm. And, so, and did he say it was because it was just like John and Yoko heavy? It was just too much. He said that the others, by which I guess he meant mainly Paul, uh, but it could have been George. I can't see Ringo complaining about it either way. Um, felt that there was too much John and Yoko in it, and they felt it was a John and Yoko movie, which is kind of funny because if you you know in the Rolling Stone interview, I believe it was John complains that Let It Be as we see it is entirely a Paul McCartney project. Right. Well, very much like you know that was the story also about Magical Mystery Tour, which we know Paul initiated that and led the way but you know we've seen the outtakes right where george looks quite happy making the film and john directs his own scenes that ultimately don't get included but they were all involved but as paul said in anthology you know once it went into the toilet then it was all on him and i think there's a bit of that with let it be as well 
Sure. They each had issues. You know, Paul wanted to do this. He wanted to, you know, Paul was taking the sort of gung-ho view that, you know, after the White Album. In fact, you know, we should back up, actually, because in a way, Let It Be comes right out of the White Album. And there is a missing, uh, not whole chapter, but sort of a short chapter in between where in the week's after the White Album was released, they were seriously talking about booking uh, live shows for maybe a week, you know, yes. or, or several live shows for late 1968. And presumably they were going to play material from the White Album. I mean, we, we don't really know because we don't have rehearsal tapes or anything. Mm. Um, and it was in... A lot in the press, um, a good deal with quotes from people at Apple. I mean, it was very legitimate. This was being planned, and then this was at the Roundhouse, wasn't it? Uh, the Roundhouse was one venue that they were talking about. Um, it was the one that they got most serious about. Mm. Um, but I, but they, I think at one point they were even talking about going to Liverpool and doing it. Mm. Um, but that didn't last long. Then it became the Roundhouse, and then there was some dispute between the owners of the Roundhouse and Apple about who knows what. But it fell apart then, and it was getting to be the holidays. And so they came up with a new plan, they being Paul, um, which is, okay, let's let's do this film where we have the rehearsals and then we do a big concert at the end details to follow and they all convened at twickenham on the 2nd of january to start this this all came together really quickly um but um george in the press when they were still talking about playing the roundhouse was mentioning it in interviews and not disapprovingly so, um, you know, he seemed to be on board at least briefly before Let It Be began. Once they got together to do Let It Be, they all had different ideas about what they were doing or what it should be, what the concert at the end should be. You know, mm. George had misgivings about doing it at all. George also had misgivings about, as you mentioned, you know, the fact that nobody was paying attention to his music that he was bringing in i mean george brought into the let it be sessions i mean just based on what they at least ran through all things must pass let it down hear me lord for you blue i me mine old brown shoe and something that's could be a significant chunk of an album yeah you know? yeah absolutely um, and yeah, and he had a hard time getting them really to focus on it. I mean, they do a lot of running through All Things Must Pass, um, but never finished it. Hear Me Lord turns up a few times, doesn't get done. Really, in the end, we're left with just For You Blue and I Me Mine. So that's that's George's thing, apart from whatever happens at lunch that day. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, there, there are other sort of aspects as well. Yeah, absolutely. Right. At the very start of January... Eric Clapton's French ex-girlfriend had moved into Kinforns. And Patty quickly realised, this is in her book, that George and this woman are having an affair. So she moves out and stays with friends in London for six days until George calls to say that the woman has now left. <laughs> so, so, you know, while the Get Back sessions are launched, that's what's going on in George's life at home. 
right. And then with John, you've got Yoko, who was there through the White Album sessions and caused some consternation among the others. I mean, they were, they were trying to figure out how to deal with it, really. Um, but George was quite vocal about not really wanting Yoko there, right? Yeah. And um, I think John and Yoko felt very sensitive about the vibes, as they might have put it at the time, heading in their direction. And this is also why John was doing heroin at the time, although perhaps less than we've been led to believe. Oh, you know, by... I, I think way less, Alan. You know, it's sort yeah. of been suggested by certain people that he's just on junk all the way through those sessions, and that's why he's so non-communicative and... You know, they all point to that scene where Paul is talking about the old days and he, he's really um, referencing De Montfort Hall um, in Leicester. And yeah. it's an over-the-shoulder shot, over Paul's shoulder, and we just see John facing the camera, smoking a cigarette and not saying anything. And right. so, you know, that's been held up as an example of John just not communicating. Completely untrue. If people just listen to the sessions... John's extremely exactly. communicative. He's not only communicative, but a lot of the time he's maybe not a lot of a lot. Some of the time he's a riot, an absolute riot. I mean, when Peter yeah. Sellers comes along, and John is talking about um, you know a combination of Boy Scouts, Baden Powell, and masturbation, and he says, you know, but I can tell you, you don't go blind. Just very short-sighted. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I mean, he is, and everybody's in stitches. You know, you can hear this on the rehearsal tape. So, yeah. you know, the idea that John's just sitting there zoned out, you know, that didn't happen either. Right, and in fact, that um, conversation that I was just talking about with Paul, had they not edited it that way, people would have seen that when Paul finishes talking, John then responds. So all he's actually doing is listening. He's making eye contact. He's listening. And then he responds. But the way it's right. cut, I, and I don't know that it was cut with that intention, by the way, but, you know, that is how people have decided, some so-called experts have decided that that's exactly what, you know, was going on. And it's just, it doesn't bear it out when you listen to the tapes. Right. In fact, as for doing the heroin, I know that on the 14th of January, which is the last day at Twickenham, Without, mm. And it's without George, of course. That's when John and Yoko give an interview. And John is clearly then high. And he, in fact, he has to go and throw up. He goes off to the bathroom, throws up, comes back, and is sounding a bit better. But, you know, yeah. so, but again, people have sort of like added two and two and come up with 16. Right. Once they do get to the Apple studio as well, there's a lot of footage of them having a pretty good time, you know. So that's yes. why it could be a very different film. Mm -hmm. it, it could be a very different film. And, and people who've listened to the bootlegs have been saying that for years. Um, and in fact, it's kind of funny. Years ago, uh, let's see, it must have been about 2013. There was a program at the Paley Center in New York where they showed Magical Mystery Tour and they had a panel discussion with Elvis Costello and uh, various people and Jonathan Clyde from Apple was there. And in the reception afterwards, I 
went up to talk to him, um, which he was kind of disinclined to do because everybody working for Apple has really been told that they can't just talk to the press without permission, you know. Um, And since most of the things I've written about Apple is how they're, you know, not really great custodians of the Beatles' legacy because they haven't put out enough unreleased material, uh, um, I can understand why he didn't want to. But I said, um, you know, I asked him about the Let It Be film and what they were going to do with it and why it has been known to have been, um, you know, re, you know, cleaned up and, you know, the soundtrack replaced with stereo and interviews were done with everybody, uh, including apparently Neil Aspinall's first interview without a hat. Um, all kinds of stuff was, was known to have been done and yet, it had been sitting on the shelf for more than 20 years. Why? And he said, well, you know, I can't really talk about it and all that. And I, so I said, you know what? I'll tell you what I think you should do. <laughs> um, you should put out the Let It Be film as it was, but you should also have a second disc that is a different edit. Because if you listen to the bootlegs, you can hear them having a great time a lot of the time there. And there's really some good stuff. And I think you need something to show the other side of this story. And he just sort of smiled and said, we are thinking along those lines. But this was years before they came up with Peter Jackson um, to do it. You know, obviously it... Uh, they were very sort of deliberate in their process of, of how they were going to show this other side and finally decided that it would be a feature of its own. Yeah, because, you know, I've heard stories down the years of, I don't know if it was like 2008 or 2012, I can't quite remember, but of Paul and Ringo watching a lot of outtake footage of Let It Be and vetoing the idea of reissuing it. Hmm. But, you know, who knows if that's true or, you know, if that just evolved. Uh, you know, I don't know. But you know what's going to happen here, right? We're going to get the remastered original. Right. We're, we're going to get the new edit. And mm-hmm. then someone's going to basically say, hold on, we can cut this all together. Absolutely. Yeah. Alan. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I think it's a job for Eric, actually. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's not well, here when, he's he, must, yeah. when he listens to the show. These are his marching orders. <laughs> so, you know, if we go, like, on the 3rd of January, I was sort of listening to some of the dialogue, because obviously there's dialogue while they're playing at Twickenham, you know, in between songs. But then there's also the dialogue sometimes before they start and, and at the end of the day, and that can be quite interesting as well. And there's really there's some very interesting discussions during those mm-hmm. sort of periods. On the 3rd of January, one thing I zeroed in on was uh, when George is talking with John. Yeah. The difference between me and, say, Eric has been that I'm just another guitar, sometimes playing bits and sometimes singing. And like you, sometimes singing and sometimes playing bits. But he's just had being the only guitar to play lead. And so he's like playing, that's how he can keep it going all the time. Yeah. So, you know, I, can, I feel now I can play things, I can learn things that will sound okay. But I can never sustain it on that unless I join the big three yeah. for a bit. It's just a matter of learning it's solo. Yeah, but it's more than that. Yeah, it's like to to, to sustain something for a long time, okay, doing especially fast fingering like that. 
Now that's where he wins over all the others, because even over them, Albert King's name is much better than them, because he goes... He wasn't as fast as this Taj Mahal, but... Yeah. Yeah, he's fast. Well, you know, he's good at that yeah. thing, which I'm not good at, and that's like sustaining, and within that, you know, like a lot of guitarists can sustain even, but they play like a lot of shit, but his thing takes on a pattern, you know, and gets somewhere and resolves itself, which is very odd. The 6th of January, this is a pivotal day because that is the day when, you know, there's the sort of bust up that we see in Let It Be of, you know, them working on two of us, Paul telling George how he wants to play his guitar in the bridge, reminding him about how he'd basically <laughs> taken a full step with Hey Jude in suggesting call and response, you know, George's sort of guitar licks responding to Paul's vocal lines. And George finally gets fed up and says, you know, I'll play whatever you want me to play. I won't play at all if you don't want me to. But that is really just heavily edited, isn't it? It's a much longer discussion preceding and after that. Yeah, you know, um, on the 6th, I mean, they, they start with um, actually a, a brief take of Oh Darlin'. I mean, it was quite a lot of, of uh, Abbey Road stuff that mm. was played through during these sessions. Um, and then they head into I've Got a Feeling, uh, a little bit of George's Hear Me, Lord, uh, and then For You Blue and All Things Must Pass, but not very much you know these you 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 see them you put them in a a playlist and you see the list but then you look over at the time counter and it's like 32 seconds 15 seconds um he doesn't get very far and in some cases just the riff um uh but however there's also carry that weight yeah this was a, a long day in terms of the number of things listed they spent some time quite a long time with Don't Let Me Down. Um, and Don't Let Me Down, by the way, um, in this early stage, they're doing that with call and response, but not with guitar call and response. They're doing it with uh, uh, vocal call and response on the bridge, you know? Yeah. So this is the third day of sessions. They've walked through quite a number of songs. They've spent lots of time on a handful of them, maybe four of them. Um, and they're beginning to get frustrated about how little progress is being made on them. Um, even though, you know, I mean, given that it's only a few days and they're also sort of just getting together after a holiday break and, uh, uh, you know, they've each got a, a pile of things and they're jamming on other things and they're spending time talking about what they've watched on television and all kinds of stuff. Um, it shouldn't be that surprising that, that they haven't made that much progress, but they are finding it frustrating. And so Paul comes up with this idea that is sort of fundamentally what they did in the White Album, which is that whoever song it is directs the session. And he feels that uh, that should include absolutely everything from saying where the solo should be, what kind of solo it is, what kind of drumming, and all of that, which is, you know, sort of the way Paul had gotten used to working 
uh, over the years, I think. I mean, and particularly the White Album. Um, yeah, because John I mean, because this really, I mean, you know, that's exactly it. You've hit the nail on the head. I mean, the White Album. You know, John famously in 1970, you know, referring to the White Album, said it was just him with, you know, a backing band, Paul with a backing band, and so on. And of course, that has perpetrated the legend about the White Album. But is that really what had been their, you know, working method? Because it seems that this is what really Paul is putting in place here during the Get Back project, isn't it? You know, that will each serve as each other's backing musicians, which I can understand George particularly not liking that, especially as he doesn't have as many songs, or at least not as many songs that are accepted by the others to be included mm-hmm. on an album. So that means his role is largely going to be as a session guy for them. Right. I guess, you know, earlier on, I mean, in a way, who I would think, I mean, just as a, a way of working for a band, any band, whoever song it is, is going to have something a lot more than everybody else to say about what the shape of the song is going to be, what kind of sound he wants. But you still had some independence. Like, I, I don't think... Um, Paul necessarily told George that he should do a backwards guitar solo on I'm Only Sleeping. You know, mm. I think this was a um, very likely to have been an innovative thing that George did himself, you know, with, with their approval, obviously, but, you know, just something that he thought would work and was trying. So maybe they had more uh, opportunity for individual input into each other's songs earlier. I, I mean, um, we should, that... should bear in mind that Norman Smith said to me, I'm not saying that I have to take what he says as gospel by any means, but he said to me that Paul was always the second producer down on the studio floor. You know, George Martin right. up in the control room and Paul down on the studio floor. And we there's some evidence for that, isn't there, that we've heard some of the tapes, I think some of the Pepper Session tapes where you hear Paul coaching John vocally mm-hmm. on one of John's songs, I think Kite or one of those tracks. Yeah. You know, and it, this all makes sense, you know. I mean, so sometimes people use it as uh, evidence of, you know, Paul being sort of difficult to work with because he's, you know, bossy or whatever. And Really? Uh, and and you the other Beatles me. felt that way. I mean, they, they said that in their um, court transcripts mm, um, yeah. during the McCartney versus the others lawsuit in 71 yeah um bo- bossy was a word that um i think ringo used and you know ringo gets along with everyone um <laughs> but still uh you know i think we can hear you know possibly the beginning of this more uh it's my song and this is how we're gonna do it in that hey jude story yeah you know I mean, George came in with what he felt was a completely legitimate um, thing for a lead guitarist to do, which is the call and response between the vocal lines. And, you know, it's not an outrageous thing to do because when Wilson Pickett recorded it, that's exactly how it was done with those little solos being played by Dwayne Allman. Okay, so it's Paul's idea to have the composer be basically the musical director. And so how does that evolve into the argument with George? They're having trouble with the middle eight in particular. And he feels that, you know, George wants to add some improvisations to that. And Paul just wants him to simplify it. (laughs) 
sort of come bring it together because we're all at odds. We're doing that thing we did on the Beatles. We're all playing, you know. Like, the, the, like in this verse, it's two harmonies singing, trying to say some words. Right? So, like, you know, it can ju it's just. And then in the bits when we need bits. Yeah, I'm not, we're not I'm just trying to sing it and do it. That's when the riffs bits come up. The riffs, uh, there's no riffs. I mean, it's, it's nice to no, get, it's, just well, to look, get what see, you like. See, you and I are uh, on, you in, on memories. memories. Uh, but it's not, it's not together, so that it's not sounding together, so we even on... Play until we or we can stop and say it's not bit. together. Yes, then you've got to carry on until we get together. Well, I, I, you know, I never know what to say to that, you know, because what I want to say is, you know, now come on and play, yes. you know, and but I can't, I know, you yes, know, and we get into that one. Okay. <laughs> so here we go. But, you know, it's it's complicated now. So see if we can get it simpler and then complicate it where it needs complications. But it's complicated it's in the bit. It's not complicated, no, I mean, you know. I mean, I'll play just the chords, if you like, and... No, no, and then you're always I'm trying to help, you know. But I always hear myself like, annoying you. And I'm trying to... No, you know, I, I get so... Annoying. You don't annoy me But anymore. you know what I mean? Well, you know, we do this then. I mean, and then, I don't know. I can't do it on film, either. <laughs> I can do it on camera. But doesn't everyone agree that it's quite, that it's confused at the moment? So all I'm trying to say is, is like let's get, let's get the confusion, unconfused, then confused. But you know, like we're just that's what we've been doing all afternoon. And this is why we're not getting anything done. You know, we're just going, rolling on with it. We've only got 12 more days. So like you know, we've really got to do this methodically. This one, like unconfused, and then a bit more confused, then a bit more. And now try this drum in here. Try this drum in there. Now, okay, let's stop and go look into this bit. Oh, I've got an idea. I should vamp because I've got to sing. And it's hard going. Doing that. But it's annoying, you know. Okay, and can you let do me that? Do it. I'll just do, do that. It's kind of vamping. Your bit. You know, if you got your bass bit, you know, 
you know, I mean, so... Yeah, I, just I, know, but, I know, but you know... Because it'll take even okay, longer, look, you know, if, I'm yeah. not trying to say that. Uh, I'm not trying to say that. You, you know, you, you're doing it as, again as though I'm trying to say that. And what we said the other day, you know, I'm not trying to get you. Mm, well, I really am trying to just say, look, lads, the mm, band, you know, yeah. like, should we try it like this, you know? I know it's if this one is like should we play guitar through through Adrian? Well, I don't think we should. Yeah, okay, well I don't mind. I'll I'll play you know whatever you want me to play, or I won't play at all if you don't want me to play. No, whatever it is that will please you, I'll do it. No, gallop. okay, but don't, no, come on. Look, you know. The galloping bit, and I'll just bam. Look, you know, the, <laughs> no, it's not like that, no, is it? You see, that's it. It's like, when, we've got to do this. We've really got to sort out this, because we're, this is, we're like, this is the one, you know. Now, we're rehearsing, and we're trying to, like, get it together for the TV show. So we've really, like you said, we've only been through four numbers. Mm. So we've probably got to get some system to get through like 20 or 30 and know them all and have learned them. And it's probably going to be like sculpture so that we get all the chords so we can all vamp them all. Yeah. Then we can like all play every solo we need. <coughs> you know, but like, you know what I mean? It's got to sound as though it's improving. But yeah, well it actually, it sounded to me, for me, it was a waste of my time playing when we started it today. I mean, I just started remembering then what it was getting into the other day after playing it for an hour and a half. And uh, suddenly, you know, I start finding that my, that what I'm doing is starting to have something, you know, have some structure to it. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, I know, I know what you mean, you know, because it's like... You know, I mean, it's just that that way of doing it, you know, puts me off the way I'm trying to do it. Well, that's, and, you know, that's all, you know, I can only do me, you know, that one way, however I do, you know. took the view that the composer should be the music director and should be routining these songs in a particular way, which is uh, basically the way you hear them doing it up to this point in the Let It Be sessions and, and for quite some time after, which is, okay, let's work on the intro. Let's work on the verse. Let's look on the, work on the ending. Let's work on the middle eight. Yeah. Let's work on the connection of the verse and the middle eight. You know, I mean, they were trying to take a very, he was trying to take a very sort of disciplined approach to learning these songs. And John and George in particular were finding this a little bit dull. George argued that, you know, what we should do is just play the songs through 
over and over and over. And that's how we'll learn them. And that's how we'll figure out where the complications should be. And that's how, you know, the whole arrangement will come together. That was his point of view yeah. versus Paul's compartmental, you know, point of view. Um, and so they're partly arguing about that. That's a really, it's very interesting, this, right? Because you can see both sides of it. You know, yeah. George and John, maybe to a lesser extent, you know, they want to be more, as you say, improvisational. Let's just see what develops. Paul is concerned, like, we're just taking too much time doing this and it's going nowhere and he wants to have structure. But from John and George's point of view, especially George, it's, well, what am I doing here? You know, he's a beetle, for God's sakes. You know, I mean, you know, this is 1969. He's one of the most famous musicians in the world. But within mm -hmm. the Beatles... He's basically being treated like a session guy. And right. so you can understand him saying, well, why am I even here? Why don't you just get anyone else in it on that basis? Right. I mean, he's not only one of the most famous musicians in the world being treated as a session guy, but um, he had just been over to the States and spent time with Dylan and the band. Yeah, and in Woodstock. Was yeah. Treated, yeah, was treated much better, was treated as uh, someone to listen to. Mm. Uh, he was pals with Eric Clapton, who treated him with respect. Yeah. Um, and, and so this is, you know, just sort of, galling for him you know you add that on to the fact that that they're not doing his songs and at this point still i believe in the long one of the long discussions on the sixth at one point he says you know what i don't i don't even want my songs to be done in this because if the whole point is to do it in a concert the songs are going to be wasted i'd much rather do them in the studio where they can be done properly I, I, and um, actually that is a portent of what happens, isn't it? Because when they go up on the roof, there are no George songs. Right. Right. You know, that whole thing, I'll play whatever you want me to play, I won't play at all. Of course, there's drama in that, and that's what everyone always repeats. Yeah. But I think that the line that really shows that he's pissed off is when he says, you know, I'll do whatever pleases you. <laughs> so, yeah, 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 I mean, that that is where he's really just out of patience. That whole rehearsal of two of us was kind of fraught and th and then paul says okay let's do something else and george suggests maxwell's silver hammer which you ah. kind of <laughs> you kind of wonder if it's a joke you know because george and john really disliked maxwell yeah um possibly even at that early date because they'd already been through it a bunch of times yeah i mean and, uh, really i mean what's <laughs> george's game here right it's like it, 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 you know, is he just trying to punish himself even more? I think he's sort of between two Georges, you know? He doesn't really know quite what to do. His modus operandi has been to be Paul's side man. You know, he's had some input uh, in into his solos and that kind of thing, but but this is the way it's been. They haven't been doing his songs, and he's been writing them and getting better and better, and um, they're still not really doing them. Uh, although he did have a few on Revolver. Um, but, uh, you know, and, and 
on the other hand, you know, he had just been with Dylan in the band and, you know, hanging out with Clapton and seeing that there is a different way to look at him as a musician. And he's beginning to feel like, wait a minute, I should be treated with respect. So there's on one hand, the George who was used to being the George of Beatles sessions. And on the other hand, there's the George who has a growing catalog, a lot of respect among other musicians and is wondering why am I putting up with this? Well, yeah, I, I'm actually, to be, you know, you sort of talk about Paul being known as bossy. I mean, George, I think, is known as grumpy. Um, right. <laughs> like the seven dwarfs here. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> but, but, you know, be honest, I'm actually kind of surprised that George tolerated it as long as he did, that, th that mm -hmm. things didn't come to a head earlier. Right, because, I mean, in, in the White Album, he had more songs, too, and, um, yeah. you know, more songs than were used, and, uh, yeah, you know, it's mm. it's a very interesting dynamic, you know, you got four people that talented in one group, I mean, when does that happen? Right, oh, you know? well, that's the thing, isn't it? He is a Beatle, but it's like, yeah, but also let's look at John and Paul's catalogue of compositions up to that point i suppose you know mm -hmm. that's what he's always have has to be mindful of or they'll make sure he is right this is roll 47 on camera a slate 94 roll 46 Time with the 
think uh, we just have a quick line after that. saying that they each brought uh, issues into the sessions, um, I never got to Ringo. And Ringo uh, had a film to do. That's right, The Magic Christian. Yeah, he was going to be filming The Magic Christian in February, so that put yet another element of pressure on these sessions, which is that they had to wrap up by the end of January. Although that, you know, I know they'd been spending more and more time on albums, but there's nothing like a deadline, right? You and I know that, um, you know, as, as writers. I mean, there's nothing like a deadline to motivate you and get you to get your act together. So I, I don't know that that was necessarily a bad thing. Right. But we're talking now about a complicated production that might involve taking uh, all this equipment out to some desert in North Africa yeah. to do a concert or God knows where. I mean, the number of places they discussed for the concert, mm. um, you know, and that again, you know, you were talking about John uh, being lively and communicative at, at times. I mean, in those discussions, especially when the plan became its most impractical, John was like right on there. I mean, when they're talking about doing the concert in the middle of the desert in North Africa, he's there saying, yeah, and if we play the middle eight when the sun comes up, you know, that can be, God can be the gimmick. We don't need a gimmick. God can be the gimmick. Yeah, you know, exactly. He's really excited about this. Yeah, that's right. Because it's on, on the seventh, George talks about the lack of motivation since Mr. Epstein, as he says. Passed away. Who passed away? Been We've been very negative since Mr. Epstein passed away. And that's why we haven't been positive. I mean, you know, that's why all of us in turn has been sick of the group, you know. There's nothing positive in it. You know, it is a bit of a drag. But the only way for it not to be a bit of a drag is for the four of us to think, should we make it positive? No, or should we fuck it? You know, this there's the only, there's only two alternatives in it. I've, I have uh, an incentive. What incentive? Decide because uh, all the things that we do, the whole point of it is communication. Yeah. And to be on TV is communication. We got a chance. Smile at people. Like all you need is love. Yeah. So that's my incentive for doing it. So the thing is, to see that's they, it. Though, all, all you need is love and hate. You did communicate. Of course they did. Yeah, I'm just sort of saying. If we need to think of any incentive, the incentive is to communicate. I agree. But it's. But I mean, it's like you know, there really is no one there now to say do it. Whereas there always used to be, and we just said, oh, fuck you know, we'll keep getting us, getting us over eight. But it's us that has to get us over eight now, you know. But that's only growing up. You know, your daddy goes away at a certain point in your life, you know, and you stand on your own feet. You know, I mean, that's all we've been faced with. Daddy's gone away now, you know. And we're on our own at the holiday camp. And yes, I think we either go home or we do it. But the good thing about all you need is love was that for that moment then you couldn't be on the long term because it was like a party for the table board. Drugs, yeah. yeah. Well yeah. this is too, you see. Yeah, but this uh, I mean 
See, that's it. We still haven't done the show. No, we still haven't done the show, though. I mean, at the moment, we're just rehearsing the numbers for the show. And none of us has had the idea of what the show's going to be yet. And it's not going to be... Well, let's have a political broadcast. Yeah. Let's make it into a well, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm much, I'm more for that. We can make it like requests, as if we, they're all special. Each song. But that was, that was never thought of that originally. Request. And this one is for Enoch. Do you remember that one of the ideas was like at, you said like at the cavern, like, you know, this is for the girl who's next to George and the Fifty Two Bars. I'd like to dedicate this yes. one to Hal Wilson, the Pope, singing nun. <laughs> General Washington. It's called Up You. Up Your Pipe. Also, you know, it was that idea where we thought, we're, we're, are we going to have other people or just us? And where it's just us again, just, just John Paul, Jeff, and Richie just doing that. Yeah, maybe that would have done something if there'd have been all the others doing their bit as well. Then, yeah. But then you get in the bit where the who's still the show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, which has been known before to happen. But, but then, you know, that's all down to the best man win, you know. That but doesn't actually, matter if no. somebody does better than you if they play better than you. There's that thing, you know, which may not seem much, but it's like... Uh, we're doing a live show, and we're doing it in Arabia. <laughs> it's like whoever's whoever's like been waiting to see the lads, you know, rocking again. Where, where's it? Yeah. Uh, so like, I'll tell you what. Then I'll I'll come in with you as long as you George, can yeah. get a couple of boats, well, like the QE2. Yeah. yeah, and go and, over there. And, George, come and and instead, like, give away the tickets here as you would have done. But the ticket well, includes uh, a boat joint the, journey as well. The Jack yes. Hood show. Yes. Right? Yeah. yeah. But film on the boat. Yeah, yeah, we do that anyway. Gotcha. Yeah, George, and then we're going to be in the Fantastic. What a gas to all the kids, though. They're all ride on a boat and all that. And for us, too. Yeah. <laughs> Hiya. Come on. <laughs> we're going to uh, Africa. We're off. We're off. On a boat. No, we're not, we're not necessarily. Not yeah, let's go, let's go. <laughs> That was that was my hustle line. See, if we took if we took a boat and took, I mean, you I mean, we with this, it'll be nothing. We can do this any day. We can do this next Thursday. But we've got day, to get days. the right audience for Russia. Yeah. I think we've got to oh, get. Russia, that'd be great. No, 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 no. That's Ringo's code name. It's Russia. 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 No, Russia. No, it's like every pretty girl is like a malady. It's Russia. No, if we get the right audience. Over there, which we over can there. get over there. Over where? Anywhere if we did it abroad. Bur burbits. We get. Yeah, I don't. The I only can't. Bits I can know, get why in is the point of doing it abroad? I think the point of doing it abroad is that apart from getting a quick it's only this, holiday and to get away from that, I'd much rather do it and then go away. I must agree. You know, like to get away from that. When I see this, and I see what it's going to be, to get away from offer. And I mean, you say well, you build any set you want in here, but yes, nothing Yes, I mean, really could, this could be done better. Yeah. Oh yeah, like John's idea for yeah, doing it here is, is, is better than I that. Because we're going to have all this crap. Have these perspex boxes so you can on our stage too, and we can move them around well, anyway. We'll have these we like. in cages or with bars <laughs> on But nothing. But then we can angle from anywhere to shoot to, and only have lights that change colour. 
But that, you see, this is around the Beatles, and that is better, but I'm it's sure... It's around the Beatles 69. 69. Well, you see, what's so marvellous about that? It's marvellous, but it's one shot. Yes, you one shot. Well, anyway, you, you can change it around. I'll tell you what I'll offer okay. you. Okay. If we're going away, and we are a boat, to take the audience with you. We do a bloody show on, on a boat, boat. This will be and then we do a show when we get in the moon. Hold on, wait, wait, here's, here comes France coming in. Like final land. dress rehearsals on the France, boat. France, I can't go to France. No, 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 <laughs> that's your code name. Oh, oh. That's your code name. Tom no, he smoked some garlic once. <laughs> <laughs> you see, I don't think anything is going to beat a perfect acoustic place by the water, out of doors, a perfect theatre with perfect... It's just the idea acoustics, of Glenn, or whatever. Glenn just singing a number well, at sunset and at dawn and all that. We just have all that... Back projection. Oh. Where? Yeah. <laughs> oh, listen, that's denim thinking. I just spent the day with back projection, man. Oh, and he's, a, he's always been great, a great no, back just, projection. Yeah, the thing is, oh, I'm, you know, the just gentle and all the moonlight. Moon. Oh, just all that for the songs, you know. For a rock and, and roll presents out of... Well, that's... Yeah, yes, yeah. I think we can do rock and roll at dawn or at, at night and we can have the change of the day over something like this because I'm sure we can do the rock and roll there if we get the right audience because if they swing, we've got the right audience for rock and roll. We have to take them with us. <laughs> yeah. yeah See, we'll we'll take a few with Back to that thing you know, that you a said. A boat load. Yeah. A boat load. It's that thing of... Boat. We pick them up all around the place. A boat load. You know? It's... Yeah. Uh, it's uh, that thing. <laughs> <laughs> There's your, there's your charity bit too, like. Well, I tell you, take a three days trip on the boat, getting Where there. Where to? To Zabratha. <laughs> <laughs> Triple E, fantastic sound. <laughs> fantastic. And, and Glenn, hit me with open air acoustics. Well, yes. Oh. And also, it's that thing where we, <laughs> last year when we were doing the album, like you said, we suddenly said, we don't need to do it here in EMI and London. Every time we've done an album, we've said, why are we stuck in EMI? Why don't, we could be doing it in LA. We could be in France. And every time we do it, and here we are again building another bloody castle around us. And well this said, time we do it there. Well you know? said. And not only would we be doing it physically, making the album there, whatever went, but it takes all that weight of where, where's the gimmick, what is it? Because you just, you know, God's the gimmick. There, and and, yeah. and the only problem we've got now is an audience, shot. you know. It does make it like an adventure, doesn't it? I mean, I'd, I'd be thrilled to do it, you know. Just, it's just for the, you know, just yeah, timing so it so as the sun yeah. came up. Just on the middle eight, yeah. you know, and all that. Which Dennis says it does. Yeah, you can do that. The sun sinks and the moon comes what? up because it's built. Yeah. No, it's built that the moon yeah, comes up. Yeah, but I know. You're thinking of yourself because you want to be nice and warm and cosy. Would have gone away if I was desperate for going. You know, I can just see us in this this place and just the moon coming up and the smoke blowing. Yeah, but I just really do feel we should do it here. No, but I'm stopping Russia now. I'm not saying I'm not going. See, you see, I, I know what you mean, man, but just here. give me one reason One of the main ones. Well, for the people. Okay. Bring them with the people. That's so the that's it, look. Right, so we take them with us. See, that's it, look. We were going to give tickets away at this door here yeah. and say the first thousand people who come from Britain. Yeah. British, white people. <laughs> no, it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of shaded British people around lately. <laughs> no, but I mean, you know, we're gonna, it's going to be like the first thousand that got here. So they, we give them out those tickets, but they include a boat ride as well. And we take them yeah. with us, and that's and the show. And you're going to go there on the boat as well. Well, that's developing it. Mm. I mean, if we're on a boat, yeah. and the, those yeah. boats do we'll have, do like, four rooms, we'd have a rehearsal. Okay, while we're, we're all here, here and and still be filming the <laughs> while we're all here, while we're all here, <laughs> put your name down for the room. While we're all here, and we ain't going away, if we can get the audience, if we can get the audience. And the boat. And the boat, who votes to go? There's one hand. Yeah! 
It's gonna be no, great. Go you love go. the play. I've moved to Yugoslavia. I may love the place. If you really don't go to do the show, I am gonna love the place. I just wanna get it over. You get there on your own. You say, I wish I could have played. And it has taken all that weight of what to do with the show. That's the end of it. But I still don't think. You know, that's a hundred percent sure that wherever we go, that will make the show. No, no, but that. And then on top of that. We're like stuck with a bloody big boatload of people for two weeks. You know, I mean, I at least you you can go home from it, you can get away from it all. I mean, it's just impractical to try and get all those, lug all them people there and try and get all that equipment. Yeah, but if you say that's what I want, that's not going to happen. Of course it's all. It's like saying it's not our show. You know, no, but it's like no, saying, no, uh, what are we going to do about getting the ATD machine in from number yeah, three office? Right. How are we going to get the A-track? Well, all we, we can do is tell that. them, you know. And if they do it, they see, do it. And if they I don't. think the sense of adventure, Christopher Columbus, will make it. <laughs> and I see, I don't think there is a gimmick in it. I think it. you're DAFT. Uh, I think you Americans don't know your roots. <laughs> 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 see, it's like having the most fantastic set on earth, but we haven't done, we haven't made a set, you know. That's the bit. Well, we get it. It's still simplicity itself. But we just how many are going to be looking at the set besides us and him? Oh, and yeah. you know what it's like what when any film comes they? on TV. You know, it's got I mean, why is everyone view. saying all oh, those shots, man? Click, 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 click. You don't ah, see anything. Ah, but but I ain't telling you. You know, because they want to see what's on, not what's around. Yeah, but no, but, I mean, instead of an hour, when they pull away from our faces I and just see a set, they just see that. You know. And but we're like, bound to get something see, from it. Had, yeah, we get a nice time. You know. After yeah. we've had get a bit of sun. your nine or ten close-ups each. Which I enjoy, you know. I just find it good. Have have something else to a good about. feeling about singing in the sun, you know. And singing as the sun goes down and the moon comes up. Yeah, it'd be like on the roof at India, only it would be fully equipped, you know, just sort of the sun. And if you'll say yes, and if we get it together, then will you go? If... And don't just say <laughs> we'll say yes together. to that and then you don't bother about well, it. Well let's mull it over tonight. We'll go over there, yeah. Let's have a sort forget of forget uh, all about it. Yeah. Uh, leave it it's it's leave it in the air and the, but I just feel think about as it. As the trade says the vibes are very good at the moment about it. I, I yeah, but I mean we can all say yes now, something decide no tomorrow. Yeah, it's not gonna make any odds. It's just think about it and I think John's right. I think you should think about it. We talked about this, we know what we can get in a week here. We know what a film that. set looks like. We all know what a film set looks like. You talk about it. You know what you've been doing for three days. What are you going to do for the next six or eight days? I mean, so we think about it. Yeah, Ring? I'll be so watching television. I think this, the idea of the boat is completely insane. It's nice though, isn't it? It's, a nice it's very exactly expensive and insane, very, yeah, and oh, we'd have a boat full of a boat yeah, full I of. Think we, uh, I, think, uh, I think it should be the least of our worries, money. I really do. When you're not paying. No, because I think when we're not paying. I mean, it's, how much for this a week? Forty thousand. Not us. Not us. Well, I mean, they have four and aft, you know. Below First class and below deck. On the sheep pens. And It'd have to be a bloody big boat. It'd have to be bigger than the Royal Iris. <laughs> yeah, and I, I'm actually following John's going to cost about five thousand. The Serena Del Mar or something like that. I imagine if we're going on a Aristotle's boat. Aristotle's yacht, you know. Let no, I don't even. Me. That's too small. Aren't they big? No, I mean I'm on a line. If we're going on a boat, 
Yeah, we do it good. You know, I'm sure we're kind of going to cough P&O will do a deal with Storm. We should be able to get the boat for the publicity they get from it. If we do a show on a P&O liner. He's just saying the whole job is going to be to get a boat anyway. Well, at least tell them we want to get it on. Not a boat, it's a ship. Yeah, they won't give us a free van. How are you going to get a ship in a couple of days? Three hours on the phone. You can get a ship. Yeah. Or you can't get a ship. got the American Navy for how long? I was there, yes, I know, but they were passing by and you only used well, them for I mean, a few hours. Be a we, want a, we want a ship for, you know, a week. <laughs> it was the American Navy making an anti-war film. Which yes, I know, and the English anti-war well, I think we, film. I think we, when it went straight jacket. Let's sleep, sleep on it then. Yeah, you're gonna go yeah. I am. Cut out the bullshit, cut out the bullshit, cut out the bullshit. You have a drink. It says it'll all go to Switzerland. Don't forget a boatload of mentally deficient and three dwarfs. And an orphan. For Friday. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Good night, Good night Russia. It's a wrap. I'll see you in you can see both sides because John and Paul are leading this kind of creative charge. Let's do something different. And George, characteristically, is being practical and saying, you right. know, really, are we going to do this? Do we really want to be stuck with Beatle maniacs for two weeks on a boat? And <laughs> which is also, you know, it's a justifiable argument. Right. Right. Um, Ringo also had, I believe, as in sort of a priori consideration that he didn't want to leave the country. Mm. Um, I mean, this was like before they even began discussing it. The, the fact that they were discussing going out of the country, even though this had had been his condition all along, um, was kind of odd. Um, but maybe they figured they could talk him into it if it came to it. Yeah. OK, so that's the backstory, if you like. Now, I say that bearing in mind that uh, however much we interpret what we hear, we can only interpret what we hear. What we don't have is when the mics are turned off. You know, we don't right. know what else was going down between them. Um, so, again, for anyone to make sweeping assertions, you know, about exactly what was going on here and playing Freud with all of this... That's kind of dodgy because we're only getting part of the story, even if you listen to every bit of the tapes. Right. And in fact, that that was one of my um, I don't know, problem is, is, is too big a word for this. But with, let's say, a caveat when uh, Giles Martin was talking about what he was hearing on the White Album session tapes that, you know, everyone says that this was fraught and John says it was, you know difficult and everyone else does except you know Ringo and uh, even Paul did I think uh, but you know what I hear on the tapes is they're having fun they're joking around and all that but he's not hearing what's not on the tapes and that's the same problem we have with Let It Be too. Yeah. With Let, it, with Let It Be some of the fights are on the tapes because they're being filmed and the Nagras are running almost all the time. Right. But they're not running usually for instance during lunch. Right which on the 10th became, you know, an issue. Right. Now, on the 9th, so the day before, you know, George's walkout, it's pretty much business as usual, isn't mm -hmm. it? And it even is, from what, again, from what we've got to listen to, it seems pretty much the case also on the morning of the 10th that way. Right, right. They're now just, you know, continuing the rehearsals of these songs and they're beginning to take shape. Um... Get Back has emerged um, almost out of nowhere. And, uh, you know, 
it's gone through a number of changes originally as a a parody of uh, a a particular strain of racism at the time. As as I think most people know, it was originally called, or or wasn't necessarily called it, but there was a verse uh, about, you know, Pakistanis going back to their homes in the Commonwealth. And they also did a, a... kind of an improvised parody that's uh, usually called Commonwealth Song. Yeah. Um, and Enoch Powell. And they're, and they're actually spending a lot of time on these sort of ad-libbed and pretty funny um, tracks. Uh, but I think they realize immediately that you can't, you can't go further with that. I mean, George had said, let's do a political party you know, show. Uh, and Paul said immediately, but I don't really like that. And then George, all of them are talking about how, you know, a lot of their stuff is political anyway. You know, the, the filming of Hey Jude was political because you had, you know, it basically brought together people of every kind, you know, to come together and sing the, the ending of the song. They regarded that as a statement, you know, Uh, and George says, you know, I mean, sometimes it usually what happens with our political messages is they get kind of swamped by the music. You know, people focus on the music, except perhaps in All You Need Is Love, because the lyrics, you know, it was right out there. Um, so they're talking about doing political songs. Um, Paul is saying he doesn't want to do that, and yet they spent a lot of time on, you know, this No Pakistanis version of Get Back, and then Commonwealth, White Power, and Enoch Powell, and, you know, it's kind of a funny little section of the rehearsals, but I think they kind of realized, apart from Paul just not wanting to be overtly political like that, that it could backfire. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure you've run into people who have said to you, you know, I heard that Get Back originally had this verse about no Pakistanis. Right. It wasn't like that a little racist. And it's yeah. like, you know, it's hard sometimes putting out a parody and having people understand it as a parody. Well, I mean, these days it wouldn't even stand a chance. It wouldn't even be a discussion. But 50 years ago, it could at least be a discussion. Right. You know, if Zappa did it, everybody would know it was a parody, but people weren't expecting that from the Beatles. And, right. Uh, you know, so, but you, you do hear, you know, during this period, you know, Paul and Mal sitting there and Paul is uh, saying, I, I, I got it. Uh, Jojo left his home in Tucson, Arizona. And John says, is Tucson in Arizona? <laughs> and Paul says, yeah, it's where they filmed Ty Chaparral. <laughs> wow. I love that moment. You know, you're hearing one of the most famous songs in the universe actually being written before your ears. That's the great thing about these tapes. I agree. Know? And that, that, yeah, and actually the fact that you're saying that, these discussions, you know, that I said like, you know, talking about the TV show and stuff, it's fantastic. If you People make the effort to listen to this. They don't have to plow through all the music necessarily, but listen to even at the end of those you know, session at the end of each day when they get together and they're talking, you actually hear the creative process going on. You hear the Beatles talking over artistic ideas. It's just brilliant. Yeah. So on the ninth, you know, they're working through your for you blue. They devoted some time to that. They went back to two of us. Yeah. Uh, there's another uh, sort of famous outtake that was sort of like a one-off 
Jam Susie's Parlor. Yep. I always thought they should release that officially. Which a lot of people um, thought it was Susie Parker. Right. Apparently, um, according to Mark uh, Lewison, it was copyrighted as Susie, Par- Susie Parker. Who was a model. Yeah. But, you know, the people who filed their copyright applications uh, probably weren't them. You know, it was probably just someone in the office who was given the tapes and said, okay, get the titles off these, file for copyright, and then that's that. So it's copyrighted as Susie Parker. But it's clearly, if you listen closely, Susie's Parlor. Yeah. And then back to I Got a Feeling, uh, a lot of time that day on She Came In Through the Bathroom Window. Yet another Abbey Road track getting a, an early rehearsal. Uh, more on Get Back. I mean, Cross the Universe for a while. Uh, the 9th and the morning of the 10th, they were really actually having a pretty good day. There are no overt battles. There are no disputes. No one's uh, feelings seem to be getting bruised. And then they go to lunch on the 10th. Right. Now, the last thing that they work on before going to lunch is two of us. Mm-hmm. And it's often been, you know, alleged that th- there was a bust up between Paul and George, you know, following on from the row on the six. That's like people just taking a leap on that. I've also, though, seen a quote of Ringo's in anthology book where he says George left because Paul and he were having a heated discussion they weren't getting on that day, and George decided to leave, but he didn't tell John or me or Paul. I think he's conflating the six with the ten. I think so. Yeah. He I said there'd he been is. some tension going down in the morning, and arguments would go on anyway, so none of us realised until we went to lunch that George had gone home. When we came back, he still wasn't there, so we started jamming violently. Yeah, I think that's yeah, all not what up. happened. <laughs> but, you know, I can I can see conflating it. I mean, apart from the fact that, you know, Ringo doesn't sit there listening to bootlegs day and night like we do. Um, uh, you know, and for him, this was like 50 years ago. But uh, uh, also in both cases, on the 6th and in this, uh, they were working on two of us. So maybe he's, you know, that's an association for him too. Right. Now, Michael Lindsay Hogg, in his autobiography, Luck and Circumstance, this is what he has to say about the 10th. At Twickenham, the Beatles, Yoko and I, often joined by our cameraman, Tony Richmond, would have a proper lunch in the small dining room up a flight of stairs, adjoining a bar where some crew members and studio office workers would be sinking their couple of pints of beer before going off to their own lunch. George was usually with us, joining in the conversation, affable and friendly, and interested in the give and take. But on the day of the Tunisian discussion, he wasn't with us as the meal started. At the morning rehearsal, I could tell by his silence and withdrawal that something was simmering inside him. And so in my role as documentarian, I'd asked our sound man to bug the flower pot on the lunch table. We'd finished the first course when George arrived to stand at the end of the table. We looked at him as he stood silent for a moment. See you round the clubs, he said. That was his goodbye. He left. John, a person who reacted aggressively to provocation, immediately said, let's get in Eric. He's just as good and not such a headache. Paul and Ringo (laughs) would not be drawn in. And after lunch, we went back to the studio where Paul, John and Ringo improvised a ferocious riff half an hour of anger and frustration expressed with guitars and drums. Yoko sat on the edge of the rostrum on the blue cushion, which had been George's, and howled into his mic. 
My bug had only picked up the sounds of cutlery banging on china plates, obscuring what the muffled voices had said. Now, again, I think he's conflating two stories there. He has actually his date completely wrong because he he bugged lunch on the 13th when George wasn't even there. Yeah, and that is a lot of sort of clanging of cutlery, isn't it? And, oh, know, yeah. You can't yeah, that really is very that. hard to get any information out of, but... Uh, yeah, but, yeah, but what happens is it's just immediately after lunch where they're running through talking about you that we right. hear this. Oh, quick one while he's away the who song it's like you know, non-stop piss taking on george here it's unbelievable For the show, I mean, you could just say George was sick. No, I mean, if he leaves, he leaves. But what's the consensus? Do you want to go on with the show and the work? Yeah, yes. if he doesn't come back by Tuesday, we get clapped. What's our next uh, move? Get 
this is the violent jam with Yoko wailing, Ringo drumming away, uh, and and John and Paul, you know, just jamming. Um, possibly because, you know, in a way they they might not have known exactly what to do. Now they're in the middle of these sessions, which have to be finished by the end of January, maybe finished right now along with the band. Uh, you know, what are they going to do? And so basically it was sort of nonverbal. They just picked up their instruments and gave Yoko a mic and, uh, and went for it. Talk about catharsis on film and tape, right? I mean, they're just letting out all the anger and frustration. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now, with George, I mean, because we don't have a tape of that lunch discussion, we do have a tape of the one on the 13th that Michael Lindsay Hogg actually did record. Yeah. Um, we don't know what happened between John and George or, bet- or between anyone and George, really. Um, but I think... It's very possible as well that, you know, yet another several hours devoted to two of us um, just got on George's nerves, you know, in addition to everything else. I think what everything points to what we have got, you know, on tape points to it being between George and John and it's about Yoko's intrusion. You know, whether it's her speaking up when they're discussing things like on the third when they were talking about the TV show and she was central to that discussion uh, without mm-hmm. hearing John. And, I, you know, that I think is, you know, and what happens at the end of the 10th, again, this is why it's so fascinating to listen to these tapes because we always hear the same lines being parroted by people. But how about this? Just Paul Ringo and Michael Lindsay Hogg without John and Yoko within earshot. Happy weekend. <laughs> You guys are getting together when Sunday? Oh, Saturday. Mm-hmm. I'll know when I see them. One day this year. Everyone's coming around. Well, maybe only two of us. So, uh, the seven men are going out to Africa on Monday, aren't they? <laughs> We've got a reconnaissance team. Seven Zulus going to Wilsdon on Monday. Check it out. No, we keep adding all the time. Paddington Town Hall. A special hired. Jeff Boeing 707 has taken a full load to Constantinople. <laughs> and the show to will see be what t- the weather's like. <laughs> <laughs> and the show will be done in Ethiopia. The Mersey Beat Awards for the best couple of the year. <coughs> Goes John and Yoko. Irritant of the year. <laughs> so that kind of indicates what this is about and while the Beatles get into this jam with Yoko George temporarily an ex-Beatle he goes home and he writes Wawa right and I believe he wrote in his diary quit the Beatles yes yes <laughs> or left the band or something like that you know just very laconic you yeah know, just okay. one one line most likely inspired John Lennon's diary later on <laughs> <laughs> People will have to look that up for themselves. <laughs> a fascinating read, isn't it? <laughs> While, you know, there's all this talk about get Eric in and they're all sounding kind of jokey and jovial and everything, you know, you wonder what's really going on inside their heads. Is John really as blasé inside his own head as he's presenting himself to be? I think he's just sort of uh, putting up a front yeah, in a way, in, in, a, in a particularly Lennon-esque way. 
Um, I asked Eric Clapton about this, by the way, and he had never heard that they were considering calling him. No, that would have been a quip on John's part, you know. Do you see that you get involved with a gang like that? They were a tough bunch of lads, you know, and they would, they'd say things like that to hurt one another. I mean, they were really very, very... They could be very spiteful to one another because they were trapped with one another. And I think, you know, I got used as a, as a pawn quite a lot after George initially had asked me to do that thing. And John would, you know, would use me to get back at Paul or get back at George. Or, you know, it was all kind of, we didn't really know that this was going on, but you, I mean, I, you could presume it, I suppose. Can you think of instances where John would have used you to get back to what he was doing? Well, no, do you think, yeah, he, he was in, a, in one of his books, he was saying that, you know, he was a good guitar player because he knew he, knew he was a good guitar player because I'd said he was, you know. Eric says I'm a good guitar player. And I had, you know, because I thought he's an astonishingly good rhythm guitar player and a lead guitar player too. I mean, I, I told him, you can play great lead, you know, it's soulful. But he then went and sort of, it was like, he, he said it as, you know, I think maybe despite someone, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I'm far be it from me to, to put too much of my own interpretation on what went down. When was this that you spoke with Eric? I would say it was about 1990. Right, because by the time of the um, Living in the Material World George documentary, Eric's in there, right, talking about that he'd been informed that they wanted him in the band. Maybe it was you he was referencing. It, yeah, I, my feeling was that he had never heard it before. Yeah. I think John Motali is quite serious about it, right? If George isn't back by Tuesday, screw him. We'll get someone else in. Yeah, but, you know, I mean, if you think about that, it's every bit as silly as Michael Lindsay Hogg saying, we'll say he was sick. You know, the Beatles play one show in, you know, after three years of not playing a show and George is sick that day. So they went on with it anyway and filmed it and <laughs> put it out on TV. What, what does that mean? Um, so if the Beatles had turned up as, you know, John, Paul, Eric and Ringo, that would have been a little questionable, too, I think. It could have been a Yoko conceptual piece. George is not here. <laughs> That's true. He's... He could be that guy in a bag. <laughs> well, let's have half a George. <laughs> yes. Hmm. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. So the rest of the day plays out that way, as I said, you know, with that discussion at the end of it. But you sort of think, I mean, there were times during the Beatles career, as we know, like, for instance, when George was deported from Hamburg back in 1960 and they all kind of arrived back in Liverpool in dribs and drabs and, I think, didn't communicate for a couple of weeks, and the Beatles could have ended there. That's true. You know, when Lennon beat up Bob Wooler and it made their first national headline, the back page of the Daily Mirror newspaper, could mm -hmm. have ended there. You know, um, right. they were mostly concerned with the Two Virgins cover, and, you know, there were always these sort of moments, right? But uh, they were now beginning to pick up pace, weren't they, you know, Ringo had walked, Jeff Emmerich had walked, now George has walked. Yeah. And apparently there were times when also Paul sort of got upset during sessions and just walked out of the session, but always came back either that evening or the next day or whatever it was. It was, it was never uh, that kind of drama of, you know, has he quit or not? Mm. You know, he just would get upset and leave. Right. Um, apparently. 
Now, but, uh, we've been very yeah. diplomatic so far. We haven't mentioned much about Yoko. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, I have to say, even, you know, however much, as I said, listening to the tapes does change one's opinion, you know, from the generally sort of reported and accepted view of what went down. Um, Yoko at times sounds, you know, perfectly fine with everyone else and they're listening to her, you know, suggestions and things like that, or at least some of them are. But on this particular day, you know, I don't know if you could sort of say, oh, she's just trying to smooth things over during a rough patch, but I don't know, it's the approach I would take, you know, this kind of screaming John while he's trying to talk to Michael Lindsay Hogg. She's in the background like a spot brat basically trying to, you know, get the attention, right? Um, mm. A bit like having a kid who, you know, the adults are talking and the kid's constantly doing something, you know, to pester and bring the attention to him or herself. Um, it, it's well, it's kind of, it is seen... bugging to hear and sort of revelatory. What do you think? I think she may have seen an opportunity um, to do something that John had been talking about. Uh, you know, he talked about it. In interviews, I'm sure that at this point, the two of them had talked about it together, which was that John wanted to sort of open up the Beatles. I mean, he he wanted Yoko to sort of be in it to yeah. a degree. Yeah. I mean, he he wasn't quite up to the point where he could say, okay, Yoko is here and she will now perform on every song we record. I mean, he didn't get that far, but once George left and the session was not going to be a useful session, you know, first of all, because they didn't have their lead guitarist. And second of all, because they probably didn't know what they were going to do now. Um, Yoko saw this possibly as an opportunity to try that out, you know, <laughs> try out the Beatles with Yoko doing her thing all over you, as John would put it. Are you saying she um, was auditioning them? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's right. But in the end, it turned out that she preferred a band with Ringo, Klaus Vorman and John. <laughs> right. Yeah. It, I, um, <laughs> I have to say a moment that always sticks in my mind of the outtakes from you know let it be i've only i think i've only seen it in black and white or, or washed out color um is where they're doing the jam session and there's a bit where paul has got his bass guitar right, right up against the amp and he's getting feedback and he's looking at the camera and i i'm sure that's you know no big deal but as the viewer looking at it when i first saw it it was as if you know to me it was as if he was looking at the camera saying like oh god what you know Look what we have to put up with here, you know. Um, <laughs> it's, it's quite a moment to see them doing that with her sort of as such center stage. Yeah. But, you know, I don't think she would have done it on, say, the 7th or the 23rd, you know, mm. when when they were regular sessions. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think it was just that the circumstances were such. And maybe she also intuited, intu yeah, intuited that they needed a uh, an, an outlet that was unlike what they normally did and would let them just sort of bash away and take out their aggressions. It's it's interesting, actually, because, of course, they subsequently, you know, George brings in Billy Preston, and it, as he put it, got everyone on good behaviour, you know, and uh, it was a kind of breath of fresh air for them. That was going to happen. Yoko was never going to be a part of the group, you know, for George and Paul and Ringo, or certainly for George. Um yeah. 
And there's a parallel there, isn't there? That, you know, John's got Yoko there butting in and maybe even trying to edge her way into the group. And then we have Paul with his, as such, you know, associate, you know, the Eastmans, right? He's trying to bring mm. them in. And in both cases, it's like, no, you know, we don't want to play with your girlfriend and we don't want your future father-in-law managing us. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, Linda was at these sessions too, by the way. You know, you hear her talking, but obviously yeah. she didn't, you know, grab a mic and... <laughs> Thank God for that. <laughs> uh, um, so, yeah, but I mean, I, I, what you said is very true that, you know, John wanted to open things up and that was very much John, wasn't it? It's like moved on now let's do something different we've done you know Beatles we did the the Beatlemania years we've done the you know the studio stuff we you know the pepper and then you know white album and now trying to strip things back and it's like why don't we just go in a different direction I get that I I, and I in some ways admire that because again it's you know so artistic improvisation it's like let's just see where this goes on the other hand, I also completely understand the others thinking, no, you know, no, we don't want anyone else in and especially not her. Yeah. So I, I can see both sides. If anything, of course, John is just basically pushing the envelope, you know, as Paul right. says on the tapes, you know, you know, that John and Yoko, you know, John's kind of over the top, but then he's always over the top. And in a way, this is an over the top sort of push that he's given here. But, and they understand that, but it's like, no, we're not going to be taken in that direction. As I said, I can see both sides of it, but at the end of the day, I think I still have to side with George and Paul on that one. Okay. What, what about John, you? Would you, I, or, or would you actually go in the John direction? Uh, you know, the Beatles as the Beatles was those four guys. And um, as someone who thinks that the Beatles as the Beatles were the zenith of Western Civ, I, I kind of would have to say that uh, I don't see them having opened up in the way that John wanted with Yoko during her thing. Um, but, so you, know, you don't envisage, is, you know, like beautiful up harmonies with, on hmm? Don't Worry Kyoko. Yeah. yeah, you know, Yoko ended up with an outlet um, and an outlet that sometimes... Uh, often included, usually included John playing and also sometimes Ringo mm. and, uh, you know, and, and Klaus who had wanted to join the Beatles when Stu Sutcliffe left. So she sort of had her own proto Beatles group for her first solo album. And, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, you know, John was, I think, in, but John was also getting tired of the pop group thing that the Beatles had been and and you see in the let it be sessions that his willingness to extend that is you know there under certain circumstances like if the sun comes up in the middle eight and they can use God as the gimmick yeah yeah (laughs) yeah yeah I mean you know that, that interview that he gave towards the end of his life where he said that really from the time they quit touring he was thinking of a way to get out but he didn't have the nerve to actually do it until he met Yoko but in a way, he didn't really have the nerve to do it until they played Toronto. You know, Plastic Ono Band, right. live piece right. in Toronto, the Peace Festival. Um, and it was after that that he's emboldened and decides 
he, he wants out. But really, all the evidence up until then, including that first meeting in September of 69, before Toronto, he's all gung-ho still about the Beatles. He's still totally on board with the Beatles. Right. I mean, you know, he's... All of these guys are very complicated. You know, we, we sort of think we can see them in simple terms, but there were a lot of clashing desires within each of them. And uh, yeah. in John's case, it, it was that. The Beatles were a going concern. They were a very successful concern. Uh, and you can't just throw that away because you want to do something else, you know. I mean, from, for John, I mean, I think he realized that. And that's why he was being conciliatory at that meeting. Um, I don't know if he was talking about bringing Yoko in there at that meeting, but I think he proposed putting out Cold Turkey as their next single yeah. at that same meeting. Yeah. So he's having, he's he's trying to get, you know, to break out in in some way while keeping it together with the Beatles. And, uh, you know, I, I mean, I just don't see Yoko as having become part of that and the Beatles remaining uh, the Beatles that the world knew and loved just because, uh, you know, what what is the format? You know, how does how does that work? And also, how much of their audience do they alienate? Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know. And they would have alienated a bunch. I mean, I think, uh, you know, subsequently a lot of people came around to um, to like what Yoko did a lot more than they did at the time. And you see things like, you know, the B-52s and Meredith Monk and other people sort of adopting aspects of her vocal style. And so now it seems like not that outrageous but at the time no one had ever heard anything like that you know right and 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 certainly not in the context of the world's most popular band right but you see here's the thing right you know you said like linda you hear her there but she's pretty much you know keeping out of it she has a few comments but she doesn't you know kind of push herself forward here yoko's got a whole other agenda and it's as much as we're just interpreting again, as we said, we're just hearing sound bites and putting our interpretations. But I have to say, it's pretty excruciating listening to think that George has walked. And I think many people would think at that point, it's in her position, keep out of it. Let them sort this out between themselves. That's, to me, extremely kind of, you know, expository, right? It really shows how pushy she is. You know, how she inserted herself into John's marriage with Cynthia. And here she's inserting herself in the Beatles. It's like she wastes absolutely no time. He's just walked. And mm -hmm. and you'd think, yeah, she would just hold back, wouldn't you? Or maybe you wouldn't, knowing her. Well, maybe you wouldn't. But also, you know, John sort of encouraged her. Oh, I totally as agree as with well. you. Oh, of course. I totally agree. Yeah. He's culpable as well. Yeah, I mean, so, he, otherwise you know, he would have taken her aside, right, and said, listen, you know, another day, <laughs> so to yeah. speak. But, yeah, yeah I agree. Yeah, he, yeah, he, he could have, but so she was doing what at least 33% of the group back in the room, uh, you know, remaining, wanted to do. And, and really, she probably only cared what John wanted. If John really didn't want her to do it, she probably wouldn't have, but... Right, uh, but he, then again, he was fine with it. Yeah, but then again, and again, we don't know what's going down. What John has been beefing about to her, you know, we don't know that. But 
that said, even if John's doing that, another person might have said, no, I don't want to do that, John. I'm just not going to do that. You know, it's not my place. But that wasn't the case with her. I remember Victor Spinetti saying to me, he was around them at, during that kind of period, and he said someone else might have been helping to push them to, you know, women, the women would have been trying to push them back together or keep them together. Whereas in this case, there was no, no real effort to do that at all. If anything, it was the opposite. Mm -hmm. On the Monday, jumping forward to the, you know, after the meeting at Ringo's Elsted home, goes completely south. They don't reach any agreement with George and he leaves the meeting early. And they reconvene the, the rest of them at Twickenham on the Monday. And that's when we have maybe one of the most fascinating conversations of all, where Paul Linda Ringo... Michael Lindsay Hogg, Neil Aspinall and Glyn Johns are discussing George's continued absence. Yoko's very much to do with it, you know, because she's yeah. very much to do with it from John's angle, that's the thing, you know. And, I, and, the, and the, the thing is, I, there's, a, there's a, again, like, a, always only two answers. One is to fight it and yeah, fight her sure. and try and get the Beatles back to four people without Yoko and sort of ask Yoko to sit down at the board meetings. Mm. Or else the other meeting is to, uh, the other thing is just to realise she's there, you know. And he's not going to sort of split with her just for our sakes, you know. And then, and but not, then it's not even so much of an obstacle then, as long as we're not trying to surmount it. Mm. Now, while we're still trying to get over it, it's an obstacle. But it isn't really. It's not that bad, you know. They want to stay together, those two, you know. So it's all right. Let the young lovers stay together, you know. But it it shouldn't be. Can't right. operate under these conditions, boy. You know, we're coming out. It's like, it's like that. We're like we're striking. That's what it is. It's like a strike because con work conditions aren't right. You know, but yeah, mm. it's not that bad. But he he knows that, doesn't he? John knows that, yeah. sure. But, but does he's, he talk about it at all? No, but he's. I mean, he's. See, we've done a lot of Beatles now. We've had a lot of Beatles, you know, and we've. You know, we've got a lot out of Beatles, so that it. I think John's saying no, but obviously it came to a push between Yoko and the Beatles. It's Yoko, yeah. Who'd stay? Oh, sure. But funny enough, the other day when we were talking, he said that he really did not want not to be a Beatle. He no, said no. he really looked forward not to, you know, there was, he didn't want that screwed up. Mm. Yeah, but it's a difficult one, that, you know. I think in their discussions, though, when as soon as you brought that out, up, John Turner said, see, I told you. I think it's one of those things where he... Oh, they, they do it. They tell each other when Yeah, they get but I bet home. he said to her, you know, when I write, just sort of go away when I'm with Paul. But she said, oh, it's that kind of thing. I don't know. I don't know, that's what I... Yes, I think a lot of people get to got the impression that whenever John talks these days, it's like, oh, Yoko's talking to him. Yeah. Or he shuts up and that's it, doesn't do it. Or yeah. if that becomes a brain Sure. Not ever, like talking to him like I'm talking to you now but I know I'm talking to Paul and I'm not talking to Linda right. Right. you know but when you're talking to John you always these days anyway tend to think that you're talking to Yoko mm. more than you're talking to John and it's that's why I say writing a song with him yeah. it's a bit embarrassing because oh, yeah. I do think it is so what? Yeah, I start you examining my motives with Yoko oh, there. is that a chicken joke? Well, it's probably <laughs> silly you know it's probably silly because I you should get Dumb. some pizza out of your house. What we're also thinking she is. Yeah. See, that's the thing. That's yeah. The only one time we've done it. And I have to occasionally. She really is all right. <laughs> it's, like, it's the thought of her being there <coughs> and sort of 
and that then you don't talk to John. So then he doesn't talk to you, you know. Um, and it's like Zach? you can that, screw it up just as much because as she's there. Yeah. As, One of the as John's yeah. relying on her because she's Jason there. Is only but it's like we did I will. We try we we're trying to get the last verse to I will and eventually I just ended up doing it because we couldn't actually do it. But uh I mean Yoko really tried to stay out of it. Just sort of got on with something. But she just really you know, they, they're onto that thing. They just want to be near each other. You know? So you, it, I just think it's just silly of me or anyone to try and mm. say to them, no, you can't. You know? It's that like, because, okay, you know, they, they, they're going overboard about it. But John always does, you know, and Yoko probably always does. So that's their scene. You can't go saying, you know, don't go overboard about this thing. You know, be sensible about it and don't bring it to meetings. You know, it's his decision. Mm. That it's none of our business to interfere in that. Even when it comes into our business, still can't really say much. Unless, except, look, I don't like it, John. You know, then he can say, well, screw you, or I like it, or, well, I won't do it so much, or blah, blah, blah. But like, that's the only way, you know, to tell John about it. Have you done that already? Well, I told him I didn't like writing songs. Were you writing together much more before she came around? Oh, yeah, Or sure. you cooled a bit then, before her? Before you yeah, cooled it, cooled it, cooled it sure. yeah. We'd cooled it because not playing together. Ever since we didn't play together. On stage, you mean? Yes, we went because I mean we lived together when we played together. We were in the same hotel, up at the same time every morning, doing this all day. Mm. And this, I mean, this, you know, it doesn't matter what you do like this, as long as you're this close all day, something grows, you know, mm -hmm. something. Gets, and then when you're not this close all day, just physically, something goes. Right. So then you can come together to record and stuff, but you still sort of lose the. Actually, musically, you know, we we really we we can play better than we've ever been able to play, you know. Mm. Uh, you know, I'd really think that. I think like <laughs> we we're all right on that. It's just that being together thing, you know. Mm. You know, I mean, as like I was saying yesterday, underestimating each other's work and uh, talking down to each other a bit. And playing safe with each other. Yeah, playing mm. safe and a nice sort of steady retirement. Yeah, it's, a bit <laughs> it's all of that, you know. But see, the, the only thing I thought about that, which is again difficult, because like you were saying yesterday, it's my opinion, this is my opinion how the Beatles should be. <laughs> you know, which yeah. is, it's all like an offer. Mm. Uh, is that I thought we should just work a lot, you know, really, really get back into that sort of, into the slog, mm. you know. Really, just I mean, a job, more almost nine to five. Nine to five because yeah. I know when I talk to John. and then weekends off, so that there really are weekends. Then back on the slog, and you know, cursing that's what, it. That's what he was saying. Drags and the ups and the downs, but the work. achievements and the no, makes you work. Because John was saying the fact that you do work inspires you. That's what he was saying. Like I, mean, I remember when they were doing the album. George was saying that it's so great working again. Working because you don't get inspired sitting at home reading papers. In fact, you've got to work and get up and talk about it. You don't get inspired in the group thing. You you doing all those other things. When you're together, you mean? No, when you're at home. When you're at home, it's the same. When you're together and you're actually in the studio working. Inspiration comes less out of work less always, less I think. Oh, as opposed yeah, to especially if you've got it inside of you. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if you've got it inside of you.
especially the, I mean, I can just see the age of 20 something, just yeah, sort of blah blah. You just get television. Usually, that's the thing. No, I don't. I don't. But you know, I really agree with that. I'm straight. I'm from Ireland too. Realizing what you are, none of us. Realize that we're as great as we are. And if we were in a northern band, you know, I'd put my foot down. All and you can't go. You know, we really can't go. Like Marine John, was saying, you know, John, the union fans, thinks that the Beatles are you can't have this musically. I think she does. I still but, think know, it's that up way. To them, yeah. it really music, is. You know, I agree. It's difficult. Yeah. But I, mean, I really do think that's the decision. Great, you know, I, I think just can't see it. It's like it's like with kids. You know, if if a kid's doing that, doing a naughty thing, really, or something naughty, you really got to leave them to Tell them not to. You know, and you've screwed it. Yeah, then I just went over and said, well, I couldn't agree with you. I will. No, 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 do I. Because, no. I mean, it's like John's album cover, you know. All of us thought, well, why did he do it? But it ended up with the answer being, well, why not? Ethan, you better take this. Yeah, that's the this. trouble, you know. But there's still got to be that, the, the compromise. Yeah. Well, that's, that's what I'm trying to do with the John Jumper thing, you know. Not, not to do just... Uh, but it takes two to compromise. Yeah. Mm. Well, I think, you see, I t yeah, okay, so we go on talking like this forever, but I think for, for them to be able to compromise, I have to be able to compromise first. Then they'll be able to, or else they have to be able to compromise first. And but it's, it's silly, neither of us compromising. Yeah, but, but it's, it is at is least one stage better. If, if I can start to compromise, then maybe they can feel that they'll bend a little for me then. Yeah, but if her being around so much has caused a lot of the oh, trouble, okay. that you're compromising already, and you've made a lot of your compromise. You know what I mean? What, by, yeah, by, <laughs> by, by the <laughs> right, yeah. omnipresence. I think it's because we've thought that the only alternative would be for John just to say, OK, well, see you then. You know, and we've not wanted that to happen. No. It's, it's incredible, I mean, we hustle each other like mad, you know. We, uh, we probably do need, really, sort of a central daddy figure to say, <clears throat> you know, nine o'clock, none of the girls. <laughs> Maybe girls at home, lads. Mm. You know, we're all like, all right. <laughs> I don't know, we might though. Never know. But work is work. Yeah. What did you say? So it wouldn't work. But it's going to be such an incredible sort of comical thing, like in 50 years' time, you know. Mm. They broke up because Yoko sat on an amp. You know, <laughs> <laughs> or just something like this. What? Well, see, John kept bringing this girl along. What? <laughs> it's not as though there's any sort of earth splitting rounds But it is, like Linda was saying, it really there's is wrong, really. terribly sort of dispiriting if it doesn't get together. It really is. Just music. Yeah, I mean, just for the. That's the thing, you know. The, the lack turn on of that the radio. Music. Yeah, the lack of. God, it, I mean, it's an event when the Beatle album comes, or it's even a that's single. It's just an event. I mean, it, to turn on the radio. <laughs> you know, this is fan number it's one. It's like people listen two. more to that than when Johnson gives a speech. Mm. You know, it's just people listen. What do you say? I was talking to Neil last night about an idea that I thought was really for, a, for a TV show. But he sort of really put the, finished the idea off, which is made it no <laughs> made it sensational. Mm. Which is uh, or <laughs> that while we were rehearsing the show ourselves, 
we should have alongside us, someone sort of near, so that we're getting the same kind of buzz. Mm. But we're completely independent. We should get, like, uh, say, the editor of the Daily Mirror. Mm. You'd have to get someone as good as him, a yeah. real hard news nut, rehearsing a team of really hard, incredible newsmen mm. with films, writing, so on, so on, so on, so that on the night of the show, in between all our songs is news, but the fastest and the hottest from every corner of the earth. And we just heard that there's been an earthquake and so on, so film and you know, just like incredible news in between each thing. So yes. it's like a red hot news program. Mm. And um, and at the end, the final bulletin is the Beatles, the Beatles have broken up. Nice. Nice, but nice. Nice, but not nice. That's that's. Thanks, but no thanks. <laughs> But the thing is, the four of you, mm -hmm. the four of them just talking about it. Did you, did you not talk about it much last night? Well, there were just too many people. Mm -hmm. 229, camera A. John didn't talk, so Yoga talked for John. Did George stay? Oh, well, then, in the middle of all Hopefully. that, actually, George went. But he was waiting for it to start, you know, that's why it's stuck in there. Mm. But when he saw it wasn't, the thing is, I... A meeting without Yoko just once, I'm sure. I don't think you'll ever get that. See, that's it, you know. That is a big sort of crunch, that. You'd have to take a job, and then it's going to be, well, I'm not doing it, or I am doing it, whichever way it goes. But if he's decided he wasn't, then that'll be that. You've got to make it some way, again, face wise, if he can appear without her. You've almost got to, you've almost got to uh, drug her herb tea or something and put her away for a minute or two. See, but their point is that they're, they're trying to like be as near together as they can. For their own truth and everything. Yeah, for everything. Like. So that if she sits over here, it's just slightly less good than if she's sitting that near, very near to him. And if she's touching him, then that's even better, you know? And it's like that. So that, okay, she's prepared to sit here. If that's, then there's the beginning of the rock then. Then she'll stay at home the next day while he comes. You know, and they see it like that. You know. They see it that the more they can stay together. And it's right in a way, I, you know, I mean, if that's how you see it, then you can see that it would be a drag to, 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 for people to start saying, well, look, come to the meeting without it, you know, we're going to talk without it. Because then it starts separating you again from her. Which is like, it, see, it's very ideological, which is, you know, Probably I'm all be. for that. I mean, I, I mean, if that's what they want to do, it's just that if it screws everything else up for everybody else, then they got to think about it. Well, I don't know. You know, see, they they'd say that the other way that the you have to yes, adjust the other to way them. is true. Yeah, that um, you know, if <coughs> they do what we want to do, it might screw it up for them. You know, and they don't want to be screwed up. They did end up reconvening at the Apple Studio. You know, they had another meeting with George, and. At that point, he basically stipulates what he wants and doesn't want. And they and one of them is that we're not going back to Twickenham. You know, we'll use our studio. Magic Alex right. has built us a beautiful facility. Mm. <laughs> and uh, from what we've heard and seen, it is a much, much better vibe there. But right. that said, you know, this whole thing of John saying, you know, they... During the 1970, you know, December 1970 Rolling Stone interview, that the most miserable fucking sessions on earth at Twickenham, and you know George referring to them as the Beatles' winter of discontent. Again, I don't think that really 
is backed up, is it, by what we get to hear overall? It, there is misery in there, there is tension, and it does result in George walking. I mean, there's no denying any of that. But I right. think to just paint it with one brush is basically a big mistake. Right. No, you can't because of those complexities I mentioned and the fact that there is the existence of all this, you know, tape mm. showing that, you know, they were sometimes having a good time with the jams and things. They were joking around. They had some great funny moments. And also at the same time, they're putting together an album's worth of new material. I mean, that's hard work. And it is. But in a way, they did see that project to fruition, didn't they? I mean, they, they go to the, you know, the Apple studio and they basically kind of get done what they want to get done and end it with this roof concert. Of course, it's not what they were planning, but they still end up with something that the public would come to love. Mm -hmm. So this whole thing that they kind of just, you know, it was all a big mess and everything... I don't know where the mess sort of kicks in. Is it in terms of the indecision as to what direction to take it in terms of editing the album and the film? Because the film, they certainly had the material to do something very different than what we ended up with. But what about the record? I suppose it, they did make the best in a way of what they had, where Glyn Johns did, at least. And so I suppose there wasn't really a whole lot there when you compare it to what they'd done beforehand, right? You know, the, the body of work that preceded this. It doesn't, you no, know, there right. are some great numbers on the Let It Be album, absolutely. But yeah. do you think there was enough there for a great album from those sessions, or or did they do the best they could with it? I Putting aside the, the, spect they... the Spectre production. Yeah, I think they did the best they could with it um, because... You know, think back to what we were hearing about what it was going to be during the sort of year plus that it was, you know, sort of on the back burner. Um, we heard, you know, the Beatles were getting their stuff together, had an album of new songs, and there are all kinds of old rock and roll jams. Now, that was really tantalizing to me. But it turned out once we heard the session tapes that, like, very few, possibly none, of those old rock and roll jams could have been released on an album. You know, they were they were messing about jams. They were like, I remember this one, and they play it for a minute. You know, it's not like they prepared any of these oldies, the things that used to be in their Hamburg set or or, or anything. Uh, it it it. So that, in a way, was kind of frustrated by the actual recordings but with Glenn Johns's version you at least heard a little bit of it in the form of save the last dance for me for a few seconds you know yeah um that was and that was basically the quality of what a lot of the jams were mm. and you know the other thing was we had been told that you know there'd be all the you know chatter between songs and there'd be some messing around like you know Maggie May and you know the six six or eight minute dig it depending which edit um you know dig it kind of stood in for you know all of those like commonwealth white power enoch powell kind of jams you know it wasn't it wasn't political it didn't deal with the race thing but it was the same kind of jam and uh you know for phil Spector to cut that down to you know 30 seconds or whatever he 
deigned to include on the Let It Be album was, I thought, kind of criminal. You know um, what, what they could have done if in, to eliminate all of the rough edges, if you like, on the album? That is if you don't want the rough edges, but if you want it to be like just a polished product at the end of the day, even if it's not overproduced by Phil Spector, um, <laughs> it is, they could have done like they did with Magical Mystery Tour, right? They could have done a much better edit of the film. And they could have put out a double EP like they did with Magical Mystery Tour and, you know, just had the absolute best takes of the best tracks. Yeah. You know, Mark Lewison takes an interesting point of view, or at least I've heard, you know, in in recent talks that he's given and and talks I've had with him. uh, He sees, I think, less of a distinction between Let It Be and Abbey Road. He sort of now sees this as this is their 1969 work they started doing it as let it be uh to me let it be ended when the film crew went home and Ringo went off to film Magic Christian but Mark's point of view is you know first of all you see them doing a lot of numbers that would end up on Abbey Road yep. in the Let It Be sessions and really working on them I mean Maxwell got a lot of time she came in through the bathroom window got a lot of time uh, you got Golden Slumbers and Carry That Weight you got something you know all kinds of stuff from Abbey I mean Mr. Mustard um, and and they actually they picked up the sessions again pretty quickly. They they started doing some Abbey Road tracks pretty quickly. Yeah, in February. Yeah. with uh, Billy Preston, you right. know, working on "I Want You." Yeah, um, which speaking of John's, you know, desire to break away from the sort of pop band doing pop songs mold, "I I Want You" is pretty much that. You know? Yeah. Um, so you know, from his point of view, the the these sessions just continued. And then went into Abbey Road, and it, it looks to us like they're two very distinct things, but he's looking at, at it in a different way that may be the way the Beatles looked at it, or, or certainly the way John looked at it, you know, more than Paul, perhaps, because Paul, uh, you know, may have been, was Paul was more invested than anybody in Let It Be as a project, or Get Back, as it was called at the time, um, you know, but the others may have thought, okay, well, you know what? That wasn't finished. That isn't coming out yet. We're still recording stuff, and when we have an album, we'll put it out. And it, and it could be that at some point during 1969, they were thinking, okay, we've got you know these I Want You sessions, and we've got some other sessions from in between, and Old Brown Shoe, and uh, you know maybe Get Back, and I've got a feeling from the January sessions, and maybe that all could be part of one album until yeah I, it what, wasn't. what defines it or differentiates it from abbey road if you like is is the film right because that that right. ends you know yeah. at the end of january and so yeah that, that's and, the way i look at it yeah, yeah and they had this money tied up in this and you know it's like they, what do we do with this thing i think that's what defines it yeah yeah, but the fact that they continued a month later yeah. uh, on other sessions, um, you know, I, I I can see Mark's point of view on that. Yeah, so can um, I. It, it, it's different from the way I've always looked at it, and I'm not sure where I'll finally come down. I, I, I do think of the Let It Be sessions as distinct because of the film, as you say. That was a project, you know, and... Uh, 
And that's why it had to be finished off as what it was, you know. Well, almost as what it was. I mean, keep in mind that when Phil Spector came on, he brought some of them in for overdubs, which was totally against the concept. Yes. Yes, so. completely. Yeah, that's right. The whole concept got buried by him, literally. <laughs> One, two, three, four. <laughs> by Richard Buskin. Theme music by Craig Bartok.
Kazoos as well. Everybody gets well done. Go on, Kazoos.